0: How do I sound now?
1: You might l- be getting some buzz louder now. Louder in a good way, I think.
0: Louder in a good way. Okay, cool. Yeah, so when I, I had it like that before, but it was a bit buzzy. But um it may, hopefully yeah, that it, won't be the case.
1: I think, that, I think that it sounds pretty good. I also am... Uh, a little hard of hearing, so it it always sounds. Well, I'll say when it sounds bad to me, that means it's really bad. Is usually is usually my that's my what's the opposite of a canary in a cold mine? Like but like a bird that by the time the bird dies, you know you're already screwed. Like you, you should have gotten out years ago. Uh, yeah, that's, that's this what I am. this
0: bird means you are fucked.
1: I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. So my my guest this week is Alice Allen. Uh, I've spoken about her a few times previously and uh, responded to her podcast, Poetry Says, on a couple of occasions. She joined me to discuss the movie Patterson, but we ended up mostly talking about poetry and performance and then for part of the conversation, she sort of turned things around and started interviewing me. I've pulled that section aside and I may release that as a little bonus the next day or two, uh, but it, it's, it, she's very funny and it was just a very easy, enjoyable conversation about, about poetry and about a very strange, somewhat silly movie called Patterson (laughs) that came out in 2016 which is also ostensibly about poetry. Alice as I mentioned is the host of the Poetry Says podcast she is also the author of The Empty Room and Blanks Uh, you can find her on Twitter at I believe at Alice Allen I think you can find, oh no, you can find her on Twitter at at poetry underscore says at poetry underscore says if you were looking for poetry on Twitter, which I don't necessarily advise. In any case, we had a good conversation, and that is what makes up the basically the whole podcast today. I, I do I'm gonna read a little poem at the very end. It's a poem that she recommends during our conversation. So that will be coming up. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Uh, Alice
0: Allen It was a fantasy even in 2016 To such a huge degree And it's funny how in the movie I mean obviously um, Jim Jarmusch has made really conscious choices To keep Technology out of everybody's hands And off the screen But it is there Because Instagram is mentioned uh, apparently Laura, the girlfriend, has a laptop, a phone, an iPad. We never see her use those things. She's never just checking uh, Facebook. She's always painting. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, she's so productive for somebody she's who so productive, reports so having so... read all these things online and watched all these YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, You're but we're never allowed to see scene, that. Only when she's practicing guitar, that's it.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah, it is there for that scene. But I really struggle with this because part of me really hates the sort of technophobic oh my god devices are going to kill us all there's enough devices to line the sea floor and jesus christ we're all gonna die from it because and and it's i think it's one of the strengths of the film in a way that it sort of complicates that idea of you know devices will kill us because when the bus breaks down he really needs a smartphone he has to borrow one from a kid and um, if he would just copy his fucking poems, that might help a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But K- Kinkos and
1: I mean, or, or even just like a, they 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 do treat it like it has to be a smartphone or nothing. Like even just like a, if the payphone had been functional, if some you know there's there's we can use Xerox machines and we can use you know basically like Alexander Graham Bell's invention. And that beyond that, technology is you know a, a doubtful value. Um, yeah. This is uh, Patterson. It's a movie by Jim Jarmusch. Patterson is the name of a city in New Jersey, as well as a uh, an epic poem by William Carlos Williams, which neither of us has read. I've read none of, and you've read some of, and that's- I that's couldn't.
0: All- yeah. It's annoying.
1: But at any rate, so th- this movie was made in 2016. It is about a poet. The poet's name is Patterson in the movie. It stars Adam Driver and Gold Shifta Farhani. Uh, it is a movie about a poet and one of the quirks of this particular movie is that there are a, a, there are a number of poems that appear in the movie, read aloud and they appear in writing on the screen, and they are they are poems. I say actual poems. You know, if, they're, if they are poems at all, then they're actual poems. But they're they're poems written by uh, Ron Padgett, who is a, uh, a a venerable American poet, member of the New School, and apparently Jim Jarmusch's favorite poet so he wrote a few of poems originally for this movie and then he they also included a couple of his poems that he'd already written um, and I saw this back when it came out and uh, in, and enjoyed it with mixed feelings but then had not thought or, or about it or seen it really much since then and you you had sort of a slightly more robust relationship with the movie
0: I thought I did <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought I'd seen it twice and really enjoyed it. Then I watched it again two nights ago, and I was like, this is really slight. All the things that are wrong with it are so much more wrong with it than I realized. And what it tells us about the life of the poet is just ludicrous. It's just (laughs) creating this vision. I mean, it's it's idyllic. It's a fantasy, but it's a totally, to my mind, you know, I mean, 2016 is is a little while ago now, but it's not so long ago that that vision would have been any more realistic at that time either. It's just, it's not useful to us. Like, what, what are we meant to take from this? this kind of where I landed at the end. So, I flipped completely yeah. from, let's watch and talk about Patterson because I love it, to, nah, this <laughs> may me- is a bit crap.
1: Yeah, I... I- <laughs> Was, all right. We should start by would you would you give like a brief overview of what actually the movie is or what happens in the movie? Not a lot happens, but it is sort of it. Ha- it takes place over one week, so, so if it's you a would, week.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a week in the life of who we find out later is also a veteran. He works as a bus driver in Patterson, New Jersey, and um, that job facilitates his. Writing which we can talk about Uh, He lives with his girlfriend who is a prolific artist in in many different directions. She paints She is learning music for the first time. She's really good at baking. She also takes care of all of his daily needs uh, to a to a You know angelic degree um she's kind
1: of a manic pixie dream
0: wife. She's she's yeah, <laughs> I mean she's a she's a fairy. Yeah. But so what happens is we follow Patterson the poet through each day of a week and we watch him work. We watch him with his girlfriend and we hear him create poems and I think one of the things that this movie does that really uh, I think, is not useful <laughs> when we're trying to understand <laughs> what poetry is and what poetry looks like is it shows the process of writing and it shows that as the title comes first and then we we hear the poem in our head and we write it down and then the poem is done. That's sometimes how we you, write.
1: Sometimes you get the second half of it on the next day.
0: Right, yeah, it sometimes as, as it takes two days full days. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then, yep. But then you start a second poem the, uh, the next day, right? So the you, next you, day yeah. you
0: would probably have started your second poem. And look, I think the thing that I realized on this third watching was this is not, even though Laura, the girlfriend, says you are an incredible poet, you're as good as your hero, William Carlos Williams, he is very much a beginning poet, I guess. And like I saw that this time, he's writing one draft then the poem's done and that is you know the way that i used to write when i first started i was like i'm i'm catching it from the universe it's coming to me and now mm-hmm. it's on the page and oh my god yes poem done um yeah it's that process
1: oh yeah i mean his, his as a and he i mean he seems to have a similar vision of himself i mean the one time he's asked are you a poet by by a stranger he says no no granted he, he's that he's one of the moments of action or change that occur in the movie uh, is that his his dog tears up his notebook with his one copy of all of his poems after his girlfriend has been asking him for a year, apparently to Xerox his book or to make some copy with somebody or like even let her hear one of the poems. He's extremely secretive, which which may, you know, maybe it's very precious. but it also, as you're saying that, it reads to me maybe partly as just he sort of knows he's a beginner. and he knows this is maybe it's not he cares about it and he's very hurt. He's clearly hurt when he loses them, but, but his sense of the importance of it is, seems to be more internal than anything. Like she often speaks in terms of you're great. You need to share this with the world. Or even like, I need, we're, you know, we're going to be rich from cupcakes that she's sort of both this muse, like magical fairy, but also has a, she's also weirdly very much more worldly than he is in other respects. So it's, um, it is a fantasy, as you said, very little, te- you know, telephones, you know, on the bus, at p- strangers sit and enjoy the scenery, or they have conversations with each other, or they read from hardcover books, or they discuss, <laughs> you know, they discuss history. Sometimes, sometimes they discuss like hot girls they saw, but mostly they sort of have sort of deeply humane conversations, um, or, or in, engage with the world in like rich, and uh, um, kind of touching picturesque ways. There's almost no vulgarity in the movie, like the couple of lines that have even a hint of of a like popular vernacular ring out. Like she says at one point, cash money, sort of chimed out. Oh and like, yeah. Oh. It's like one of the few times she says something that sounds like like a a, a normal kind of cl- clumsy, grubby human being. That, and then maybe the brief appearance of Method Man, It's about the only time that you hear language that sounds like it's been run through the machinery of, like, actual human use. Otherwise, it sort of has this, this, like, uh, air-dried John Patrick Shanley kind of.
0: (laughs) Air-dried is just the perfect, perfect (laughs) way to describe it. Can we talk a bit about that Method Man section, so he walks, he yeah, goes yeah, on his yeah. nightly walk. One of the, the things the whole, he does The whole movie
1: is, is routines. He has routines every day. So he, so he, 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 on his walk one night, he, he hears somebody freestyle rap and that rapper is Method Man. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go yeah.
0: Ahead. yeah. And that scene really stands out to me because, well, there's, some, there's something quite ridiculous about it, I think, which is that Method Man or Paul Lawrence Dunbar, as his name is in the film, um, when he's trying to psych himself up to do another round of what he's working on, he whispers, no ideas but in things, which is a quote from Patterson, the, I, the poem. I, I couldn't tell who said that. I couldn't tell if that was
1: Method Man or if that was Patterson whispering off screen because both seemed equally implausible. So it's he's tot- called Paul Stunbar. Dunbar. He says, just call me Paul Dunbar. I thought that was like a boast because Paul Ernst Dunbar is obviously a famous poet. Was, is it, do you think his name in the movie, and like Jim Jarmishland, his actual name is Paul Lawrence Dunbar? Oh,
0: far out. Okay, so I didn't know that. I didn't realize that Paul Laurence Dunbar yeah, yeah, yeah. is a, poet. He's a, he's a fit, okay.
1: like, Yeah, so he is the one who wrote the line that then Maya Angelou took for her autobiography, uh, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. It's from a poem called Sympathy. But now that I think of it, in his movie Dead Man, the main character's name is William Blake. So. Maybe his name is what Paul learned somewhere. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. No, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure. Sorry, he's, at any rate, yeah. he, you say, you, as you're saying, he psychs himself up by quoting William Chris Williams to himself. Ridiculous. Which but, is
0: yeah. ridiculous, but, but really, I don't know, kind of, kind of gorgeous as well. But, um, what i love about that scene is we see a poet and i think this kind of goes to like something that's been bouncing back and forth between our podcasts over the last sort of month or so we see the spoken word poet working his ass off to get that poem right to to be able to perform it well he's he's saying it over and over again. He's in a laundromat. He's got time to kill. He's just going to say this poem over and over again. Meanwhile, Patterson <laughs> is like, love poem. Da, 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 da. You know, <laughs> like He just writes it out and then it's done. So oh, I yeah. think I mean, like
1: I, I wanted to see the movie about... The Method Man poet, totally. <laughs> yeah, That's really. a better film. <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So he, as you said, he he is a he's a veteran. There's a shot at the beginning, and I believe it's 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 a uh, Adam Driver's actual photo from when he was in the Marines. Um, the actor uh, was was in the Marines. Apparently, also got a bus license, bus driving license, while shooting yeah. the movie. So uh, he is a veteran, and and then and that sort of do- it only really comes up toward the end of the movie when a character pulls what looks like a real gun in a bar really abruptly in a really sort of startling way. And he very swiftly and elegantly disarms him. Patterson does. It's kind of saves the day. It turns out it's not a real gun, but it's a. It's, he leaps into action in this, this sort of impressive way in this one moment. Apart from that, to me, it, I, like watching it again and looking, I think, Looking at the subtitles as the script separate from the acting, it felt to me almost as if there was this other movie being written by Adam Driver. Because (laughs) he, he he has these responses and he has this sort of us under the surface pain that's evident throughout the movie that isn't ever really resolved or even brought out to the surface. Something has happened. I mean, almost felt like he felt like a Hemingway character. Like he was in the war. Something has been has been done to him. He's quietly recovering while the rest of the world goes on around him. But this movie was about this other thing that he did.
0: Yeah, it's there's a sense of dread that runs throughout the film for me. I don't know if that maybe other people just get boredom, but I constantly feel like something awful is about to happen, and uh, <laughs> it, it comes up so much. But the things that could happen that don't include his dog could get jacked he there could be a murder in the bar there could be a bus accident i'm constantly feeling like he's going to run into someone even just he could oversleep and miss his shift and, and none of that happens the film kind of seems to invoke these possibilities for disaster and then just like leave them to the wayside and even when the gun gets pulled it's fine it's not it's not even a big deal and he goes home and he has a bit of a heavy sleep, and then his girlfriend's like oh you, you acted so heroically and that's so terrifying and then the film just continues yeah. and I guess I love that because I love it when movies don't um, I guess in some ways punish their audience by being like oh look at this, this horrible thing that you knew was going to happen well here it is I love that it backs away from all this stuff but again I just <laughs> I feel as if what it's saying about the life of a poet is that it's somehow protected it exists in this this rarefied zone where nothing bad ever happens because you're writing poetry i don't know it's just it's so as you say it's so wholesome it's such a fantasy
1: yeah i mean the the one bad thing that happens is the poetry itself gets destroyed and he though he composes it in his head he doesn't seem to have it memorized and there's no, there's no copy of it. So watching it again, I kept thinking, all right, what, h- how do I read this allegorically? Like, how, like assuming this can't be, the, this, this isn't meant to be a representation of the world as it exists. It, it isn't even really meant to be a representation of, of, uh, I don't think, well, I don't like was, I kept thinking like, all right, so is this is the Lara character meant to be, because I think I read somewhere when it came out, there was a lot of really uh, laudatory criticism of this when it came out. I can yep. remember where, but somebody had proposed that she was sort of meant to be, that they were sort of two halves of an artist. Like like she was one half of art of his creative you know life and he was the other. So that together they kind of made one whole person. Well, watching it again, I, I wasn't even really sure uh, about that, that some of the most, some of the most human moments were the moments of slight friction and awkwardness between them when like there's 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 this very i mean in a way like it's the the movie feels like it takes place in a like a 1950s sort of working class household where like they the money is enough to sustain a life of of like relative comfort with some with a handful of luxuries but also there's this sort of there's a bizarre total there's no whisper of racial tension at all. Though I mean, well, I mean, the whole, the cast is, is very uh, uh mixed in race, but there's there's absolutely no friction or tension there. And yet it is for being a, a working class, you know, household in the 21st century, they're the least angry working class household I can imagine. Um, but I, I can't figure out, even if it's all sort of a shadow play or or a like a mystery play, what is the What's the moral? Like, what is the, what is the moral? Even if we were just to take it at face, say like, all right, I totally buy in, I completely commit myself to Jim Jarmusch's vision of metaphysics and reality. Like, so then, what should I learn?
0: <laughs> exactly. This is this is my problem, and and I think people might be listening to this and going, well, well why are you picking apart this movie from 2016 <laughs> that like just d- nobody remembers? But it is important to me because this is the first time that I have seen what purports to be my life on screen you know we have biopics of Elizabeth Bishop and we've got the On the Road movie there aren't many films about what it looks like to be a poet in the 21st century but this movie also isn't that (laughs) because it doesn't it doesn't tell us anything about what and, and look I'm probably just like asking like I do this all the time asking a film to do more than it Ever said it was going to um, on its own merits and on its own terms this is a beautiful quiet, you know gorgeous little study and there's really nothing wrong with it. I I just don't want people to think that my life looks anything like this because just absolutely not.
1: The thing that start okay the, the thing that maybe does start to make sense because that, that's the other question is like all right if it's not if it's not making a deep statement about poetry, in allegory form or or some or in, in a realistic form then who is it a for whom is it a fantasy and i guess I, like maybe it's it really the the problem is that it it has a special appeal for people who write poetry in the 21st century in a non-glamorous context but it's not really for us mm. maybe it's it's like it is a poetry movie for non-poets. That I think if you were, if you were like, when I think about, um, you know, so my, my dad's an architect and his joke is that like anytime you have a character in a movie and you want him to be sort of interesting, but kind of a minor character, you throw architect, you say like, oh, he's an architect. Like, because it sounds kind of interesting. And they, they usually make them like way too rich and way too like autonomous. And like, they're able to kind of act with this imperious authority that of course, no real architect has if you're not, you know Gary uh, or Frank Lloyd Wright, but it's a fantasy of what it might be like to have that life. And if this feels maybe like it's nice to imagine, it's nice to play act as we, we step into a movie and we watch we watch the main characters and we we imagine ourselves into those roles. And so it's nice to feel like, hey, maybe this is what Goldshift Afarhani is like—the most glamorous, patient, uh, generous. Uh, talented hard-working you know housewife without kids that you could imagine in this kind of perfect idyllic way they're like the only brief moments of friction or like she has to sort of ask him for for money for something and the very you know but it's, there's almost I mean, there's no argument at all there She sort of she's she's all whether she's painting or like sleeping naked or whatever she's doing it's all it's always extremely picturesque it's sort of if you want no actual person taking care of a house would recognize this, but, but maybe it's nice to watch it and feel like, well, that's what that would be like, right? And the same, maybe the same <laughs> is true for Patterson. Like, oh, I could be a, a working working class poet, a re- really authentic. I mean, I remember at the time, you, you know, my wife and, and some other people pointed out like, well, that, they really feel like they're hipsters, like playing at a working class life. But then the trick is there's no scene. Like they can't, like they're no, they have no friends. They don't have anybody have else no to play with. I mean, they are totally, <laughs> totally isolated in this in this little town. Like, I don't know what Patterson, New Jersey's like, but, like, they are alone.
0: <laughs> totally. I mean, I guess he's got his friends at the bar, but, yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I feel like another reason that this film inspires so much, like, strong feeling and anxiety in me, too, is it's telling other people what poetry is. And what, like people who aren't poets, and I kind of have this, um, this situation that kind of pops up occasionally in my life, and I don't know if this happens to you as well, but every now and again, a friend of mine will maybe listen to an episode of my pod- podcast, or, um, you know, maybe like they, they realize that I, that I write poems, and they'll start to ask questions, and they want to know more. And I freeze up because I'm like, "Oh God, I have to be the one that communicates what this what this is like to you and what it means and what's significant and what's not significant, um, what matters and what doesn't. And I'm in one of these conversations right now with a really good friend of mine, and I just don't really know how to explain it. And when so when a movie like this exists and says, "This is what it looks like to live and work as a poet, I kind of want to scream and be like no no it's not what it looks like at all but what it actually looks like is re- you wouldn't make a movie about it <laughs> so,
1: And now I'm again as with your description of portrait readings in Australia I'm fascinated and perplexed because I can't imagine anything that people who know me would less want to ask me about than like, <laughs> I mean, it's really it's like I have a large fungal tumor growing in my body like 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 that would be, <laughs> be more likely to be like oh tell me more about that you know than, like would you what is it like writing poems it's like good god almighty like nobody nobody wants to touch that with a temple. so like I, now i'm just i'm wondering about this it's like this, <laughs> do you live in patterson the movie like do you live in this tale <laughs> land and like what is is melbourne a real place or are you an actor or like god <laughs>
0: Okay, so I'm probably as with, the, as with the bombing thing, I'm probably overstating like the, the level of interest. like it fades pretty fucking quickly. but like, <laughs> but occasionally there's this sort of flaring of interest in, in people. Um, and I feel very responsible at that moment to to wholly, fully, completely and um, totally accurately represent everything about poetry. And and you said in in your episode that came out yesterday, which was just wonderful and I can't wait to listen to it again, poetry is a big tent. uh, And I feel like I need to just describe everything that's going on in that tent in like one sentence because I never want people to feel excluded. At the same time, I do have very strong opinions about what, I think counts as poetry and what I think a poet should do and how they should work and so that's why a movie like this uh, hooks me, because there are certain elements of it where I'm like, yes, good, okay, so you you should be reading a lot, and you should be writing every day, and that's good. But also, dude, you got to fucking revise. Like, yeah. you can't just leave that shit. It's not done. It's not done yet. So anyway. So uh, uh, having, <laughs> having
1: performed an exhaustive uh, treatment of, of Patterson, uh, is there anything else that we, we, we missed or needed to say? Or... I think Adam, like Adam Driver is a very good actor. I think uh, love um,
0: love Adam. Love Adam. Um, totally I think well, right I, like
1: William Jackson Harper, who who I, whom I'd forgotten about, who's given the most weird, inconsistent, uh, stagey, nonsensical role in this movie. He's a really good actor. Um, he's he plays Everett. Um, oh. The guy who pulls the gun and his lines yeah. are so weirdly written. Is like his motivation so bizarre, but like he's just a really winning actor. He's he's also in um, Midsummer and The Good Place. Though I, I've only seen like one episode of that, but like he's just like a really winning character actor. So I, I, I he was like a, a total unknown when this came out. Um, but like he's he's great, and Adam Driver is great. Uh, Gulshir of Farhani's like a, per- she's like a to me she it feels like she she feels like part of a picture that Jim Jarmusch is painting, and that she like. Her lines are so bonkers. I I don't even know if I could evaluate her acting.
0: <laughs> no, I know. I was I was saying to my partner like I feel like she overdoes it a bit, and and he was just like, no, she that's got to be the direction. Like it can't be her fault. She's.
1: <laughs> I'm always <laughs> so, yeah. inclined to give actors the benefit of the doubt in situations yeah. like this. But yeah, I don't. I have no. I have no clue. Maybe I'll. She'll, with luck, I'll see her in something else. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. Anything else we're we're forgetting? Oh. What did you, what did you make of the Japanese poet?
0: Oh, of course. No, we did. We do need to talk yeah. about the ending. Okay. So I don't feel like in well, twenty twenty. Well, tell, tell them what's. Tell them. This, okay. This what happens? What happens? Again, at the end of the film, Patterson, having had his notebook destroyed by uh, Marvin, the incredibly cute English bulldog, goes to the Passaic Falls and sits and thinks and a tourist comes up to him a Japanese tourist and sits by him and just happens to have a copy of Patterson the poem translated into Japanese we have to assume it's book one because there's five books of the fucking thing but uh (laughs) Yeah, I, I'm assuming
1: Jim Darwish did not know that. <laughs> he just took like the first, it's like a blank book with the first page. <laughs> That's my assumption.
0: Patterson, yeah. So he sits down next to him and they they have this conversation, which is totally mystifying. The poor Japanese actor is given these lines that are sort of this this horrific kind of broken English, which, I mean, yeah. I don't know, I've lived in Japan off and on, so I feel like I can say with confidence that like nobody speaks that way um, when they try to speak English. And there's this just bizarre, I, c- I can't even really explain it. It's basically as if he is the spirit of poetry come to Patterson to, to imbue him with renewed inspiration and uh, belief in his project and he hands him a blank notebook. And then the the poems begin again.
1: Yeah, he is like he is like a, a Dickensian ghost who, who directs. <laughs> I mean, like that's that's he. You're you're like in in like a weird, like r- racist like.
0: It's really uncomfortable. I
1: mean, because he's he's too he's come he's come from Osaka to visit Patterson, New Jersey, because William Carlos Williams is from there and and wrote there
0: which he's not and didn't he's from rutherford (laughs) why why (laughs) (laughs) oh i don't know if that makes me like the movie boar
1: now (laughs) 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 he's not from there i just assumed he was from because they keep talking about how he's a patterson poet and he's he's like the poet of patterson i mean
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe in New Jersey, Rutherford and Patterson are, are thought of as the same place. That was the only thing I could come up with. But they're like at least twenty minutes away from one another. Maybe, maybe they're all part of the same.
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm also like this is. I grew up in Atlanta, which is a big, a big weird city, and, and like people who lived an hour outside Atlanta would would like say, "Oh, I'm from Atlanta."
0: Okay, um, maybe so that's it. Maybe it supersedes.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, but also like, who fucking cares? Like, like I don't care how much you like his poetry. Like, I if I loved William Burroughs, I mean, I'm trying to think like what American poets do. There are American, there are American poets I love. I won't go to visit them while they're alive. Like, <laughs> like in this country where I live, you
0: know. So, well, like, I should come clean then and say that I did make a pilgrimage up t- uh, from New York up into Massachusetts to try to find the home of Jane Kenyon which I, oh, I failed
1: that. Yeah. that I'm I find see, I see I actually find that extremely touching. I like she and reading I mean because of encountering that book by chance without then like she and Donald Hall became like a, a this weird um like binary star system for me when I was in high school and college. Uh and just like read everything of theirs.
0: Yeah, she is my yeah, star system is a good way to put it.
1: So well I have and, and I have not really gone back to their poems much in in years say a, say a word or two about jane Because i mean other than she, she i read the poem without and she was married to donald hall and, and died uh quite in, in her 40s and he wrote this book about her but she, she was also a, a poet of her in her own right say a word or two about her
0: because
1: um, she, she remains she remains like somebody you you like a, a north star of, of sorts for you
0: yeah she's my she's my 3am poet I just have so much admiration for somebody who was clearly just in intense amounts of pain and was able to write so beautifully and so consistently. Uh, I, I I particularly love the way she approaches her faith. You know, she is she's a religious she was a religious person like she went to to church, but she was constantly being challenged, and this like is. Is really well expressed in her really famous poem, Having It Out with Melancholy. You know, God keeps leaving her and keeps, she keeps feeling abandoned and like nothing means anything. But she keeps writing and she keeps writing with God in mind. She's so gentle. She's so precise. And <laughs> I guess, yeah, <laughs> I really did. I wasn't prepared to talk about it. Sure, sure. And no, I no, don't, I don't have any like, anything pithy to say just that just that i there are a few poems of hers that i don't find something beautiful in and many of them are um my absolute favorites um you know i i went i went back to williams to try to like find poems to you know, thinking when we came up with the idea for this episode, oh, I really love William Carlos Williams. Turns out, I really don't. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, not really not into him that much. But Kenyon, I'll, yeah.
1: Well, well, Penny, th- that's the. I think the best way to do this is just to tell people of a, a, a couple poems they should read. You
0: know? Okay. Well, my favorite Kenyon poem is "Happiness." which she wrote in, like, fairly late in life, but not quite at the end. Having it out with melancholy is a very close second. Those would be two to begin with. And from there, you could you could kind of go anywhere. I don't feel like you can go very far wrong, but there is a particularly famous poem of hers that I don't love, which is called Otherwise um it has the this name of refrain of or, or like a yeah. Collection, I think, or yeah 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 and as this refrain you know it might have been otherwise and i just i think it's a little bit too simple um it's a little bit too neat and what i i like like i, I often think about this comparison between um ah, fucking wild geese woman what's her name shit mary oliver yeah, Mary Oliver and uh, um, and Jane Kenyon. Mary Oliver's poems are, are you know rounded edges and tied with a bow. Jane Kenyon's poems are um, they always have a, a ragged edge, and I think that's really important. It's
1: been a, I mean, it's been, truly been a while since I I read her, but my my feeling is that Mary Oliver poems often can be can translate into advice or inspirational wisdom. And Jane Kenyon's poems have moral concerns and have concerns with wisdom, but don't seem to be, they don't seem to have that same imperative application.
0: Yeah. She's never giving you advice. She's not really giving herself advice. She's just trying to make it through another day most of the time. And I don't wish to glamorize, you know, the depressed poet either because that's, you know, been done to death and it's quite boring and, and um, kind of damaging. Um, but I do feel like it's significant that she was she was able to write about those experiences with so much precision and, and, um, and gentleness, I guess.
1: Good, yeah. So the moral of the story is... Uh... Patterson, Jim Drivers' 2016 film. Adam Driver's a good actor. William Jackson Harper's a good actor. Jane Kenyon's a good poet. <laughs> that's, that's what a, we planned. That's what we can take away. Uh good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, boy, yeah. That Japanese poet at the end was was a was oof, that was a rough, yeah, rough moment. Um so so about performance. I can't I can't like wh- where we have like like two and a half standing arguments or, you know, so where, where should we, where should we begin with performance? I
0: don't, I don't actually know that we have any disagreements. (laughs) (laughs) I think I, I, I align with you on pretty much everything that you've said. And and if you, if you don't align with things that I've said, it's only because I've expressed them poorly. (laughs) Um, But Yeah, I I took your point about like, you know, what I experienced in terms of readings in the US was very much much based in a New York um, experience. And I really don't know that much about what it's like outside of that world. So, so, yeah. I mean, I think, so like what,
1: what you described, well, describe, because for people who haven't, who may not have listened to that episode, describe pe- to people what your experience with readings is in New York, because I think it sounded, like, it sounded like a lot of fun and a kind of a really cool experience, but also a sort of a particular thing. So what was it that, that you encountered in New York in poetry readings?
0: Yeah, well, that was, you described in your episode that came out yesterday, the, the small crowd in the well-lit room that was my experience of poetry readings until i went to new york and there were still sometimes small crowds and well-lit rooms but the poets who stood at the front inhabited the space connected with the audience and delivered their poems in a way that to me said you're allowed to really like your own work i had just seen so many people Get up and shuffle about, and make excuses, and be like, "Oh, this one's about... Um, oh, anyway, it doesn't matter." And then they launch into it, and it's just like, "Oh, Jesus Christ, you don't even like this?" Well, I was already bored and needed another drink, so great. But I never... And and you know, like I, I mentioned, I got to see Terrence Hayes, and and um, just in this tiny little room in um, in Brooklyn somewhere, and. I don't know. It just it made me see what was possible if poets would stop apologizing and start taking up a bit of space. And I guess that is what New York demands of you. You know, if you if you don't take up space, I mean, like we left because I was (laughs) getting kind of crushed by the city um, in for, you know, that was definitely one of the reasons. Uh, It's it's hard. It's it's a hard place to be but it's kind of a crucible i think it kind of it it if you're going to um yeah if you're going to be if you're going to be good then like you better bring it essentially is what i got from that
1: yeah no that seems right and like my experience with like seeing plays in new york was always that the writing was not necessarily any better, partly because the writing comes from all over. But the acting was way better than like even one city to the left. You know, like like the performances, the live performance performers go to New York or they go to LA or to Chicago, um, and uh, so so that I mean you're you're gonna get really good live performances there. You're also I mean and and you're also gonna get like a lot of people having fun in a place. Like even in Baltimore, where there were they were not, you know, because there was a little bigger crowd, there was a little more of a scene. People were coming together to drink and have fun and flirt. There was, it became a fun event to go to. And then also partly for that reason, there began to be a little more of a spoken word element just because it, it became possible to entertain people. And so mm. there, were, there was sort of more of a desire to do that. But part of it even felt like, Like the comparison that came to mind for me when I was listening to your podcast was like even even if it's not a great performance, it's a little bit like a like going to an award show. Like award shows are not entertaining, but everybody's dressed up. All the cool people are there. It's a big event. It's like it it feels glamorous. If an award show took place in like uh the the back room of like a strip mall tutoring center uh, you know with like fluorescent lights and like an 8 foot ceiling and nobody you liked was there then it would be horrible like nobody would want to <laughs> listen to the announcements of the awards and the speeches given by the like that would be horrible and so i feel like a little bit like you get in a way like when you go to new york and you get people who are extremely competitive and can really perform and have or have been like brought there because they are admired like in some ways you get a better dose of what poetry can be but in another sense you get a purer product when you are out in the sticks when you are in the middle of nowhere getting like well this is just poetry (laughs) no there's zero other reason that you would come here there's nothing appealing we have bad snacks we have no scenery we have no cute people to flirt we're like there's nothing to come here for except poetry so like i'm not sure which of those is more authentic but i think they are different
0: yeah yeah it's poetry uncut like baker's
1: poetry no
0: (laughs) it's like no no sugar added 98 (laughs) percent cocoa you
1: know i want to believe in the world of Melbourne, or Austra- I don't know if it's Australia, because Melbourne does seem like it's it's maybe of its own its own animal within Australia as well. But I want to believe in whatever that world is that I that I the the whether it's an accurate impression or not that I've gotten from you, I I hope that exists in some capacity.
0: I think it has moments of existing, and I think it is just as fragile as you know. Could just very quickly, suddenly, you realize you're in a fluoro lit room with an eight foot ceiling. Um, it comes and goes. It moves through uh, events that happen sometimes, and I think that's why you you show up your way there because it is obligatory and it is an awards ceremony. You know, ninety nine percent of the time, but every now and again, you get to you get to hear it. It, it comes into the room, and and you are there for it, and you are like, okay, <laughs> still, it's, it's still worth it. It's still worth it because i get to get to hear this thing
1: i felt that way more about theater i think because like usually when i would go to the play it would be awful but mm. but there was something so good when it did happen and that i cared about so much that even though i w- it would almost always be awful that was something where like when i lived in a city where where you could go regularly to see plays and, like you'd have a one in 10 or one in 20 chance of like getting something, even like a good act or a good scene, you know, like th- that was still worth it because of the magic that happens there that doesn't happen anywhere else. But maybe with poetry, like, so all, almost all of the magic that I experience with poetry takes place in a quiet room with like a dead person on the page,
0: which is maybe between, um,
1: yeah, alone, I mean alone. So you ask this question, in your podcast, frequently, I don't know if it's, I don't know how, I haven't, you know, I've only listened to to so many episodes, so I don't know how consistently you ask this, but you ask this question of your guests, usually toward the end, where you say specifically within Australian poetry, what is it that you wish there were more of? What is it you wish people talked more about? What is it you wish that came up more? So I guess I want to ask that question of you both, both like with regard to like framing Australian poetry for a a non-Australian audience, but also more broadly, like what is it that you, What what's missing or what is there too much of, or what would it be? What kinds of conversations would you like there to be uh, about mm-hmm. poetry that there are not yet enough of?
0: Mm. Yeah. I've been asking that question of the interviewees for this latest sort of series, this Poetry Month series, um, and I, I was pleased that I came up with it, because I think it's it's probably a good one. Maybe I should keep asking it. but. For me, there is too much earnest poems about the Australian landscape. The Australian pastoral um, is alive and well. There is a lot of uh, poetry that thinks it can save the world. I really appreciated what you said in your last episode about this. That was a really wonderful side. Um, There's still, you know, plenty of stuff that you would probably... Use that word, eco poetry. I think that still exists here. Now, people
1: are into that. Here, I still don't quite understand what it's supposed to mean. But people are. Very yeah, into that. no,
0: and it's I don't think there. anyone who who had that label applied to them would agree with it anyway. But well, that's definitely one strain that's here. I think there's a really, really strong strain of the of incoherence. Um, pro- that might be the biggest thing in in Australian poetry at the moment. And then, yeah, earnestness. I think I think I said already. And I think you know, if I could change one thing, it would just be to tell everyone writing in Australia to just have more fun, just like in, let yourselves enjoy what you're writing and, and like what you're writing. And and um, you know, there's a it, the scene is small, but it is still competitive. We do all want to be published by four or five journals. And so we are all trying very hard to appeal to the editors of those journals. So the result of that is that the the work can end up sounding all very much the same. And the strong strain of incoherence means that it can be quite alienating for new people. Um, And I'm talking at this point very particularly about Poetry on the Page. If we were to talk about the spoken word and performance poetry seen in Australia, a very different beast and um, much more welcoming and inclusive, really, uh, even though I'm sure it's got its own hierarchy that I don't properly understand, but they seem to be allowed to laugh a bit more, have a bit more fun. Um, There is a, a little group of just super, super cool kids here in Melbourne who run a reading called Sick Leave. And whenever I go to that reading, I feel like I just have great time because the the aim is to laugh, and you know there's cute people there, and I'm sure they're all flirting with each other. Um, I, I did interview them, and uh, unfortunately, the the interview's never going to make it to air because I think it got a little bit too, you know, <laughs> gossipy <laughs> and real. But um, yeah, the, I, I was talking to one of the conveners, and they said. Oh yeah, after that I was out until 6 and I was like 6 p.m. and he's like no 6 6 a.m. <laughs> so, you know, they go to the park and they take drugs and and they have, you know, so they're doing the thing.
1: How do you see Australia? I'm always a little bit unsure of the relationship among the different English-speaking countries. Among the like poetry among the various English-speaking countries. Like there there is it seems like a particular link for formal poets in America to formal poets in the UK. There does seem to be some commerce there. And like I, I hear mm-hmm. things pass back and forth there. But other than that, with um even like between Canada and the US, there's this huge rift. I mean, bizarrely, I mean there there's clearly some back and forth, but it's like there's so much happening in Canadian poetry that's completely removed from American poetry. And then With UK, with Australia, and so where? How do you experience Australian poetry as being part of this larger landscape of like English language poetry, or and like non English language poetry as well?
0: Mm. Well, uh, a outspoken and well loved and also well hated Australian Prime Minister used to describe us as being at the arse end of the earth. (laughs) So we 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 live with that sort of position in our minds, I think, and. I guess I've always had this sense of like not only do I need to understand and know the Australian Canon, I need to understand and know the the British Canon and the North American Canon. Um, <laughs> it seems a little it's a, it's a bit uneven in that way yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and we well, I'll just speak for myself. I look to... Um, particularly poets in the U.S. for direction, inspiration, ideas about what's possible. I don't think that's necessarily healthy. I should probably be looking more towards my, my local contemporaries. But that's, you know, why um, why I think it's important to, to hear these things about, you know, to, to hear criticism of somebody uh, like Kaveh Akbar, like Ocean Vuong, you know, like because – to me, you know, when I bought um, Night Sky with Exit Wounds, I, I read it and I liked it. There was a lot that I didn't connect with, but I took it as a given that this was kind of unassailable. You know, like if I had problems with it, then they weren't necessarily legitimate. I guess it's the same thing
1: well, you're probably, as what I'm saying you're probably with- what you would be advised not to bring them up. In that sense, it is unassailable. Like you were yeah. unwise to criticize it publicly.
0: Well, yeah, not publicly, not publicly. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I guess in a way I'm kind of repeating what I fear for my friends who are new to poetry, this sense of like, well, if I've got a problem, then I guess it's my problem and um, I guess I just don't get it. So yeah, all of which to say I do, um, I, I think I know way too much about poetry uh, I don't know, like heaps. I don't. I don't know all that much at all. But what I what I do know about poetry mostly skews towards the U.S. Um, yeah. yeah, which is kind of a weird position to be in. I'm assuming that
1: for you, the the poet the the degree like the the American poets who loom large are the one are the contemporary yeah. ones. Like the contemporary poetry scene in America gets more coverage than it. Ought to compared to like the contemporary Australian scene is that like that is that that's the I would say like American poets pay too much attention to contemporary American poets as well, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like we shouldn't be this the contemporary if you are a contemporary American poet and you are really really celebrated right now, some of those people are very good, but but the the great great odds are that uh, you're not actually worth that paying that much attention to.
0: No. It's also this this weird moment, I feel like, in the U.S., and this is just from observing from the outside, but, like, you're in this strange position right now where, like, you're kind of questioning everything about your canon, too. Mm. Like, you know, why are these people, um, the people that we've celebrated for the last 100 years, why we celebrated them? Who did we celebrate them at the um, expense of, you know, like... So I can well imagine being a celebrated, well-published, well-loved contemporary American poet who could, who could easily say, oh, I've never really read Whitman or like, I don't know anything oh. about Hart Crane or, you know, that kind of thing, um, sure, yeah. which is the case here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, no, I mean, yeah.
1: it, it's, it has been out of vogue to read the canon for decades here. I mean, it's it's been, I mean, it's just funny, like there, there was a, a, a remark and it's it, it's a a, a charming and, and worthwhile interview, but like there was a remark, the poet you interviewed most recently made at one point about a student where they said, you know, if a student produces a, a perfect sonnet, then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them, but I'm really happier when they begin to write work that, you know, d- reveals their character more. And and it's left out of me not because it was a particularly unusual or or, or, not because it was anything particular to that person but i've heard comments like that for as long as i can remember and i always want to say like well where are these fucking perfect sonnets like where are these kids (laughs) writing like good god (laughs) almighty the people complain about like the rules of poetry is not about rules it's about breaking the rules like no who's been enforcing the rules there's that the rules have been (laughs) anti-rules for as long as can can anyone tell
0: me the rules yeah yeah
1: like nobody wants you to write like my when i uh published my first book, I wrote free verse poetry throughout all of college, almost all of grad school, had this weird crisis, went through this whole whatever, you know, thing that, that's boring except to me, and then wrote a bunch of formal poetry and published this book. Uh, my, my dad's book club, they read it very sweetly and, and uh, embarrassingly, and then their comment to me was like, well, it'll be great to see when you finally um, outgrow your teachers and you start writing, you, you know, in your own style which was, which is fine. And like, I have very mixed feelings about that book, but it was a, it was a joke. It was like, well, no, my teachers wrote mostly in free verse and like, like, this was me. But like to them, there was still like, it's the idea that there is this, uh, that there's a, there's a, 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 a canon that is sacrosanct, that you know the, the formal rules or you know dominate poetry, that there's a there's this sort of this crystalline perfection or these, these these ancient great dead whites that we all are supposed to revere. All of that has been poo pooed since like the '70s at the latest, you know. And so I'm I'm all for questioning the canon in the sense that of doing exactly what you did with Jane Kenyon, which is like if there's somebody that we really are supposed to ad- admire. Let's pull some poems up. Let's look at the work. Like, like, let's do, like, do. is this good? Do I like it? Is there something to do? enjoy here? That's what the canon's good for. Like, it's good for making suggestions. Look at it. If there's something worthwhile, keep it. If not, sure, if I, like, don't read it. If it's not good, if it doesn't offer anything, it should, you know, for, for, forget about it. But I guess using the, like, re- poem recommendation criterion, what should we know about Australian poetry?
0: Mm, yeah, I was terrified you would ask me this. Um, <laughs> oh right well okay so maybe i
1: should say maybe i should no no because i do i i'm putting you in a bind maybe i should say like which dead australian poet should we know or oh so, even worse so, that you're, so that you're off the hook or maybe that's also then then it's going to be too many white people so i don't know well you're fucked it no matter what I,
0: yeah i'm totally fucked, answer it, is there
1: any way you can answer it that doesn't get you in trouble
0: Nah, but that's okay um i would start with uh, a poet called dorothy porter she wrote a, a a long like uh, what do you call it when it's a it's a novel but it's a poem um
1: novel in verse
0: yeah novel in verse called uh, the monkey's mask it was made into a film a uh, very sexy lesbian movie dorothy porter wrote uh, my favorite poem which is a poem called lucky so i would i would check her out because she's got a very distinctively uh australian voice she's I don't yeah what what's he even say about it she's like she's formally interesting she clearly she clearly knows what she's pushing against so that would be one there are uh, living living poets who I would also recommend one of them would be Pam Brown who who lives and works up in Sydney now um, she is is just a master of the kind of poetry of detritus. I don't know if she would love that description, but uh, I, I think her work is, is phenomenal and I don't really know how she does it. Um, uh, there's also uh, sort of a m- more of a formalist who's a bit of a hero of mine who I got to go and visit in, in and interview called David Brooks. Um, no relation to to your David Brooks, who I know is not <laughs> okay. not the not the yep. <laughs> favourite figure. Um, yeah, and I've just named three white people, so I don't love that. And there are yeah, there are just like I really appreciated what you said in in one episode. I wish I could remember which one where you said like the the only sensible way to appreciate poetry is at the level of the poem. Um, you know, so like. yeah yeah Yeah. Be more i mean you can
1: be as narrow as you want you know yeah read so we should people should read lucky by dorothy park porter yeah
0: read read lucky by dorothy porter um yeah i don't know i hmm
1: or is there um other than the terrific Podcast poetry says: Is there another (laughs) uh, venue or vehicle, you know, for for poetry, for Australian poetry, that people should be tuned into, or other other poetry podcasts? Because you're right; like it's it's hard to find fun ones. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, commonplace and Poetry Gods, which is defunct, but there there are lots of episodes available of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Definitely check out the Poetry Gods, um, even though it's not being made anymore and commonplace has some incredible interviews like just yeah rachel's approach is really really different to to yours and mine maybe maybe i'm a little bit more of the rachel school but um yeah she's she does some incredible interviews there aren't any other australian poetry podcasts at the moment that aren't like kind of earnest and made by journals um I sort of live in fear that somebody will come along who's way way taller than me, <laughs> and make and make a podcast. <laughs> this is Alice Allen,
1: the reigning coolest podcaster in Australian poetry.
0: Yes, yeah, sorry guys, this is as good as it gets. <laughs>
1: um,
0: yeah.
1: Or I mean, I, I don't know. Are there other are there, are there uh, j- journals or presses or website? I don't know. I, any
0: probably the the YouTube most videos, represent
1: or channels or I don't know. Yeah.
0: Uh, not so much that. I, I think probably the um, the place to go if you wanted to see just what's happening right now is an online journal called Cordite, which has um, been you know sort of long running, and um, I still remember the, the 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 feeling of getting into Cordite for the first time. Cordite's kind of like the stepping stone journal, but it is. Um, very much like good enough that you you really want to celebrate it, and you really want to put it in your like list of places you've been published when you when you finally get your book together. Um, what but what it's is inclusive the, is it, There
1: are like four journals in Australia. I mean, you're you're yeah. But like, it is a it's a pretty small system of journals. So the like, yeah. What is I'm curious like what is that hierarchy? How does that work? Because there's something of that here, but because there's so many, it's a little mushier. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, uh. I'll put it. I'll put it in these terms. So I've got. I've got into cordite, so you know. I've got I, I basically can retire, but I've never <laughs> gotten into. Uh, never got into Mianjin, overland, or island. Uh, I really. I you know like, try to pretend like it doesn't hurt, but it does. And um, <laughs> does that make you
1: an emerging poet? Is that is that? The yeah, I'm category? still a fucking
0: emerging poet. I've been doing this for ten years. I'm still emerging. <laughs> I'm still emerging. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's annoying. I also just stopped submitting um, over the last couple of years because I just, I don't know, I kind of, I think I decided that the way I wanted to write wasn't the way, wasn't the kind of stuff that people were wanting to publish, I guess.
1: is So I, I guess I should, like, for your, within your world and view and scene, the places you want to publish are mostly these, you would want to publish, are mostly these, this handful of Magazines in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not submitting there, what are you doing with your poems? Do you, you live like like uh, Adam Driver with a notebook and a bulldog or?
0: Secret notebook. A secret. Um, what so do many I do lines
1: then? That, that got delivered with amazing skill and, and nuance that, that should have sounded so much goofier than. Thousand
0: percent. Yeah. Yeah. You can write this stuff, but you can't say it. What do I do with my poems? At the moment, very, very little. It, not not much is happening. I have had this weird situation where my, my first book, The Empty Show, uh, came out right at the start of 2020. I never got to launch it. But while that book was being put together, I wrote a subsequent chat book called Blanks, which I um, yeah, really hope my publisher never listens to this. But, like, I, I love Blanks a lot better because... Okay. The Empty Show is very much my first book. It's kind of like I tried everything and here's the best of what I could do. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas Blanks is like written in a, a very kind of discreet um, period, really like intensively. And I'm really much happier with those poems and with the conceit of the book in general. But um, yeah, like uh, then I just felt really overexposed because I had two books come out within like four months. And that's all I was really making. Recent.
1: I mean, that's all like for poetry time, that's really, really recent. That's like all of it's <laughs> happening right this second.
0: Pretty much, yeah. And then I was making the podcast. I was also doing, um, I was running a reading and I was doing this performance, like improv poetry thing. Um, and so I just felt like I was doing too much what? and there was way too much Alice Allen in the world.
1: Improv poetry?
0: Yeah. So I, I, I started this event where we would have a guest poet cause I, I do, um, uh, a
1: Reading series
0: yeah so yeah the reading series was one thing and then this other thing was a poet reads and then a team of improvisers respond to the work and create scenes off the poems what (laughs) yeah it's really fucking fun i haven't been able to do it for two years (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: that's bizarre i mean that i mean that so the poem is not improvised
0: no the poem's written down the poet comes with three or four poems to read and then the improvisers listen hear the poem for the first time and then respond with their own stuff
1: what is the tone of that
0: hilarious and fun and exciting and different and not boring no it, doesn't, know, oh, it I, doesn't it
1: does not sound boring but i'm realizing <laughs> like this is not the place to read your like elegy for your dad
0: yeah please don't yeah i try to make <laughs> sure that i <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, you
0: could, you could, like, you know, my co-producer was—I can hear him screaming in my ear, being like, "We could do that. We could respond to that." But you know, the. <laughs> well, the, well I mean, we're, but we're also, just, like,
1: as a, like the, the, po- the poet should be reading something that she's happy having rendered into a goofy. Yeah. Shit. Torn yeah, apart. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, <laughs> so poetry is the is the uh the meat that gets ground into the improv sausage
0: absolutely okay. yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> that definitely sounds not boring I'll say yeah that. I hope you get to uh to revive it mm. um all right so I, I didn't know I did it's, it's funny because I, I saw that you had a book and a chapbook I, had, I guess I didn't look at the dates because I, I assumed that the chapbook had come before the book uh, yeah yeah you
0: I mean you wouldn't be able to tell anyway um but I'm self-conscious about the fact that The Empty Show is making its way to you by a by a boat because oh, yeah. I feel I like... I ordered
1: it forever going. Like, I just now got a thing saying, we'll we, we ship it to uh... <laughs> <laughs> fucking Australians. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, no, but I'll look for it. So blanks is, is blanks because some of the chapbooks are not... Is that like available? Is that something you can get?
0: Yeah, you can get it. I mean, I can just send it to you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, well, let me put it this way: If I pay for it, will will any fragment of the money go to you, or fraction of the money go to you, or will I just be going to the big poetry? You know, Australia's big poetry in, industry.
0: I'll probably go to big poetry. Okay. Yeah. All right. yeah, yeah. Well, no, then, I'll send uh, it to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would. Yeah. I would love that. I definitely know the feeling of like publishing a first book is a really good way to like. F- Cleanse your colon, you know, like not your, but like you, in a way, like you, you can't let go of some of these poems until you do that. And then you, they just, you're, you can be shut of them, you
0: know. Yep. Yeah, then you're, you're done with that and you can actually start. That's how it felt to me. And that's why I say, like, I sort of stopped, I've stopped writing. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of what you were talking about in terms of this moment of crisis, which I'd, I'd love to hear more about. But like, I just feel like everything I did, I mean, I, I I still am proud of the book and like, you know, it won an award and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, um, I just look at it now and I'm like, yeah, I was just trying on these different hats being like, is this me? I don't know. Maybe I sound like this person. And and now I feel like I really want to know what I actually sound like. Is that kind of what you meant? Like that moment when you were which, stopping which, writing free verse?
1: Oh, no. I That was a whole other mess but um i want to get you back on and do more maybe we can not talk
0: about another poetry movie,
1: uh sometime um but yeah or uh, whatever whatever appeals to you yeah, I, from- you're,
0: you're on a brutal schedule man once a week is fucking hectic
1: what do you usually do i usually do once a fortnight.
0: For- oh. i am because i've got all these banks but yeah usually yeah, i wouldn't
1: yeah. mm. i wish fortnight were a legitimate unit of time in america Oh. <laughs> like it doesn't mean anything here because it's like because like, everything is either weekly or monthly, so it's just it feels like you're, it's, it feels like half a half a sandwich with half a salad or something, you know. Okay. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, okay.
0: Well, I mean. Yeah, yeah. that
1: probably don't, seems wiser.
0: Don't grind yourself into dust, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll. I will see, we'll see. But for now, I plan a do it i don't want to do it if it sucks to do <laughs>
0: no of course um, and you can tell yeah. that you're having fun right now but yeah, yeah, you know yeah. there's definitely a big chunk of mine where it's like eh, alice is tired and bored and i was yeah, but yeah. yeah that's the you know we're we work in the most beautiful part of the internet no one's listening no one can talk <laughs> back we can't count um the metrics and we just get to to do our little private thing it's it's like it's 1995 all over again but
1: this mic situation you have looks really good, though. Do you put a drape cloth over that or something? Like, a, do you cut? Because I just didn't worry about dust with that. Like, do you cover Uh This it
0: is or? a little kind of shield that's on it. I can, you can right. take that off and it's like a, yeah.
1: But does the shield not get dusty? Do you?
0: Uh, yeah, it's got cat hair on it right now. Oh, okay, mm. all right. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, you, if you live with a cat, then you, yeah, a whole, yeah. You're in a different kind of environment. Yeah. I have. Yeah. I have a, a human human shit that is likely to end up in our eyeballs, but not yeah. not like toxoplasmosis or what. Like, they're different risk levels. You know. I have like wet sure. Cheerios that I'll sit on, but yeah. You know. mm. Yeah. This. Thank you so much for doing this, and I will I'll probably, Thank You. And one of the, one thing I do want to do is like not commit myself to any particular. Anything like I want to sort of be able to do anything that seems like it would be fun, so yeah, I'm, you know, yeah, in whatever format,
0: yeah, it's really hard to pivot. But you've done this amazing thing where you've already talked about like books, movies, poems, and you know, whatever's on your mind, so you're like, you're just open, so yeah, you haven't boxed yourself in, so.
1: They, awesome. that's my was part of my goal in picking a, just the stupidest name that meant nothing. <laughs> it. It's so no... <laughs> sweet
0: that it's what your daughter calls secrets. I was like, oh my God, my heart.
1: <laughs> they are, uh, the evolution has ensured that they are unbearably cute. Um, oh. That was my conversation with Alice Allen, again you can follow her at poetry underscore says on Twitter and uh, you should listen to her podcast poetry says uh, it is it far more uh, <laughs> she is a far nicer person than I am but it is uh, it's very it's you know it's very candid and enjoyable and informal uh, conversation with Australian poets but it is it is the same sort of shop talk that I that I try to remember to get around to on this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, she, she's she is uh, she's the best. I, I wanted to quickly read the poem she recommended, "Lucky" by Dorothy Porter. We had a couple emails after our conversation, and she said it's a little hard to find online. So I I think I, I, I managed to track down a, a page that has it printed out. But I'll just read it for you here because it is it is a good little poem. In our conversation, she she ended up settling on a, a sort of a a further elaboration of of what you might call the contemporary style of Australian poetry. She said it, it tends to be sort of laconic, conversational, uh, d- uh, deadpan. It's it, it is often f- wryly funny in a way that is a little bit a, a little bit less stiff than British humor and a little bit uh, more reserved than American humor. It also, my, I guess my, my other observation, it, it, uh, based on the, the poems I've read from contemporary Australians, is that there, there is often a, uh, the, the, uh, the, the connections are often left implied, that they tend to move associatively without a lot of conjunctive reasoning. If that's a term that can be used in that way. I'm not quite sure. It, it Maybe may starting to talk about an eye infection. But this is Dorothy Porter's poem, Lucky. I believe it originally appeared in the Bee Hut. I'm not sure. Again, it's hard to track down precise information about some of her work online. She mentions uh, Tang poetry. This is poetry of the Tang Dynasty, which was a, an ancient Chinese dynasty that was in... Power throughout the the seventh through ninth, tenth centuries, three or four hundred years there. Uh, I'm I'm mostly familiar of the Tang of Tang poetry. I'm mostly familiar with uh, Ezra Pound's beautiful, if not very scholarly, translations of poets like Li Po and I think Du Fu. The, the maybe the most famous example being his rendering of uh, his supposed rendering of Li Po's or his poem, The River Merchant Wife, A Letter, which is supposedly a rendering of something by Li Po. Who knows? Uh, so this is Dorothy Porter's Lucky. There's a damp melancholy in Tang poetry that smudges the lovely jade precision. I love Walt Whitman's spunky company, but under his bardic whistling, I can hear his lonely heart howling at the turned back of some deaf rough trade. So many poets starve in the cold, fairy spaces between their frost bitten ears. How lucky I am to hear you, darling, coming up the stairs, to smell the coffee floating ahead of you like my favorite incense. So as I said, it moves associatively. It's sort of, the poem is basically a series of juxtapositions. They all what they seem to have in common is the is the, the private lives of or I guess they all have poetry in common. The second, third, and fourth examples all deal with the private lives of poets. I do think that the that that whistling is a is a pretty pretty right term for whatever it is Walt Whitman does. I, he's not my favorite poet, but he is distinctive and memorable spunky being uh, perhaps obvious but still I think pretty effective uh, pun given the context context and I and I do like the the sort of literalizing of this she says I can hear his lonely heart howling which could end up being a little sentimental but then she makes it oddly literal as she finishes out that sentence I can hear his lonely heart howling. At the turned back of some deaf rough trade, those um, three, three or maybe four stressed syllables in a row with consonants on deaf rough trade is, uh, I think, pretty mimetic of the 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 harshness and uh, lack of grace I think present in that. In the situation she describes, and I, so I was not aware. I had always thought rough trade referred to prostitution. Uh, apparently, it is, and I, I'm have no doubt somebody will correct me if I if I mischaracterize this. But apparently, I looked it up, and it it is refers a little bit more subtly to uh, men who sleep with men, not explicitly on a. You know, cash transactional basis, but but maybe in a with a convention that is a little bit closer to what we might call a sugar daddy or sugar baby situation. You know, when it's when it's a straight couple. But in 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 any event, there is something painful about that. The turned back of some deaf rough trade. His his own sentimentality gets revealed for what it is in the loneliness of that. Exchange and then so many poets starve in the cold fairy spaces between their frostbitten ears. It's a it's a pretty good line break in the cold fairy spaces between their frostbitten ears. I I wonder that fairy used in that way not to refer to any fairy. It's F A E R Y. I'm not sure if that's the standard uh, spelling, British spelling, um, for for what we might what we would spell as F A I R Y. But I do know that that use of the word as an adjective. The only other poem I can think of in which it appears is Keats's When I Have Fears That I May Cease to Be, in which he's thinking about being a poet, trying to get his work done, being lonely. And he's imagining all of the ways in which his life could come to an abrupt end with disappointment at what he won't have done. And he, he fears that he will, as he says, never have relish in the fairy power of unreflecting love. Then on the shore of the wide world, I stand alone and think, to love and fame, to nothingness do sink. But that fairy power of unreflecting love, unreflecting love—I've never been totally certain of. But I've always sort of gathered that that in, in Keats's poem referred to the love that you might share with someone that is that manages not to be narcissistic. It manages to really to see the other rather than simply to see one's own reflection. Um, and he sees that as magical. For her, she consigns magic to the to that that sad self-centeredness that leaves so many poets or would-be poets uh, lonely and alone. And then, you know the, the end is is I've read a number of love poems that have this kind of ending where they turn from an impersonal external consideration suddenly to the, the second person in, a, in a, a tender recognition. I think um, Elizabeth Bishop's poem, Insomnia has a, has, a, has a melancholy version of that turn at the end. There's actually a John Forbes, as, as, um, as Alice says, the Charles Bukowski of Australia. One of the poems of his that I, I sort of like, I think it's called Love Poem. And, and it has a it has a turn like that at the end, but all the same, as 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 a you know as we've said plenty of times before, it, this is this stuff isn't new, but it, it's still moving. How lucky I am to hear you, darling, coming up the stairs. She does make it. She does make it nicely sensory, so that it would be so much weaker as she, if she said, "How lucky I am to have you, darling." Make it abstract and said, "It's the sound of this person coming up the stairs, and it's the smell of the coffee." There is a little bit of a, a little bit of fairy power going on in the very last sentence because of that. Um, the syntax is a little bit ambiguous. How lucky I am to hear you, darling, coming up the stairs to smell the coffee floating ahead of you. Of course, it's the smell of the coffee that is floating ahead, but the way it's written. The suggestion is in fact that the coffee itself is floating ahead uh, of the the beloved like my favorite incense. So there is something sort of uh, eerily magical in that last moment. And I I wondered about the incense the first time I read this poem and I still don't know what I think of it. But it's a it's a it is a touching and surprising short poem. You know, there, there aren't that many words for as much stuff as happens here. I'll just read it one more time and then I will sign off since I've already gone on too long. This is Dorothy Porter's Lucky. And thank you again to Alice for passing this one along. I, I might never have come upon it otherwise. It might have been otherwise. All right, this is Dorothy Porter's Lucky. There's a damp melancholy in Tang poetry that smudges the lovely jade precision I love Walt Whitman's spunky company, but under his bardic whistling, I can hear his lonely heart howling at the turned back of some deaf, rough trade. So many poets starve in the cold, fairy spaces between their frostbitten ears. How lucky I am to hear you, darling, coming up the stairs. To smell the coffee floating ahead of you Like my favorite incense. That was Lucky by Dorothy Porter and this is Slee Ricketts. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me, as always, at sleericketts at gmail.com. I forgot to remind you to uh, leave a a rating and a review and to recommend the show, but I'm reminding you now, so please do go do that. Uh, It helps when you spread the word because it's not really getting spread any other any other way and with any luck i will be speaking to you all again very soon until then